All right, well, you may be seated. First Corinthians chapter 5, when we get started, that's where we're going to be. First Corinthians chapter 5. Now, in, in, as I've been saying, in order to get an appreciation for some of the harsh things that Paul said in chapter uh, 5, you're going to have to understand what he's been building up to from the earlier chapters. Uh, it's important that you understand that the Corinthian church will be what we consider a hyper-worldly church. Uh, earlier he had called them carnal-minded Christians because he couldn't share some of the deeper things of the gospel because they were still thinking like the world, still doing things like the world. Then he went further and said, I got proof of that because of the way you look at your leaders. You put more emphasis on your leaders than you do on Jesus. So the human personality had become like a cult following. And so they broke up into faction, like one like Paul, one like Peter, one like Apollos. Some say we don't like nobody. We're just going to follow nothing but the word, deceiving themselves. And so you have all that in the mix. And then now in chapter 5, he kind of addressed their pride, that they had this, so, such a high level of pride because, again, the Corinthian church was a wealthy church. Uh, it was a multicultural church. It was also a church, and the Greeks at that time was very smart, intelligent people, so they had a lot of philosophical minds in the church. And so you had all these things coming together, and sometimes when you have all that coming together, the church can get a worldly air to it. You know, in other words, the, 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 the spirituality of the church is kind of diminished, and the church become more fleshly-minded than worldly-minded. And so in chapter 5, something comes to his attention that he has to address. And so uh, what we're going to see is that because the Corinthians were blinded, you know, uh, uh, by their pride and, and, and their intellect, they were allowing a flagrant, what I would call a flagrant file, Major. You know, there's some files, but then there's flagrant one, files flagrant and ones, and then you subject to get a flagrant and get kicked out the game. And, and so what I want you to see here is that it's true that sin is sin is sin. And, and when I say that, I want you to think in mind of anytime you break a law, that's a sin. Whether that's the jaywalking law, the petty larceny law, or the Grand larceny law, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, armed robbery law versus the murder law. You can break any one of those and that will be considered a sin. However, though, the punishment for each one of them is not the same. And so that's what we, I think sometimes when people say, well, you know, sin is sin, you got you to address all things to sin. But you can't say the punishment for jaywalking is going to be the same as for murder. And so I think this is going to kind of come clear tonight because Paul must have elevated this sin up into the flagrant foul range. Because the punishment exceeded what you would normally think would happen because of the degree of what this sin was. And so I think sometimes when we, when we look at this in the church, every little thing someone do in the church does not warrant what Paul is prescribing here. You know, you may have somebody who, you know, just don't 
just gluttons, but you, you probably won't excommunicate them because they just eat a little too much. You know, you might have someone that, you know, that every now and then, unless they just flagrantly gossiping, you probably ain't going to excommunicate them and tell them they can't never come to another fellowship. You probably keep your eyes on them, but you ain't going to excommunicate them. But there are certain things Paul said, hey, look, man, you got to excommunicate. And so when we look at this, that's kind of how you got to look at this in, in that frame of mind, because if we look at it in any other way, then we will think that, okay, like some people say, well, that sin is sin, so why you pick on this one? You want to pick on all of them. If, if you're going to preach the Bible, you got to pick on all the sin. But what you got to let people know, there is degrees of punishment. In the Old Testament, what they punished for stealing was not the same, you know, as they were punished for somebody maybe doing something of less offense. In other words, every penalty uh, did not require stoning. Sometimes people just get kicked out for a couple of weeks, come back, and then go through the purification process. But there were certain things they did, hey, they got stoned. And so what we see here is that even though now under grace, Paul didn't say stone the brother, but he said you got to deal with him. So y'all ready for this in, in, in chapter before we get started, Major got a question. Okay, let's go ahead, Major. Bring it on. Chapter 5. Hello. So I'm just thinking, Pastor, for something that you would, in today's time, for something that you would excommunicate a person for or say, okay, you got to leave the church, how, how are you helping that person, though? Because, because ultimately, I think, so a punishment should be to rehabilitate the person and get them back so that they repent and get them back into the fold. So when you excommunicate a person or kick them out of the church, how do you help them? How are you helping in that way? Well, you know, here we're going to see tonight that when he tell them to kind of separate themselves from them, he, they, the intent was to rehabilitate, to restore, and hope that person will come to their senses. Again, I think that there are some folk you may not want back. Amen. I mean, if they perpetual, you have to, like he's going to say, you turn them over to the Lord, let the Lord handle them, because you can't just let them run through your whole church. You can't, well, you know, it may be too bad. No, man, this, this person is running through the whole church doing some crazy stuff. So eventually, you know, you have to deal with that and then now turn them over to the Lord, like we're going to see here tonight. And then eventually, if they heart change, then you always want to bring people back and restore them back. But, you know, this, this whole thing tonight we talk about from the standpoint of, a, you know, Paul kind of ties something to what Jesus said. You know, he was talking to the leaders about the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, look, man, just a little bit of that stuff will mess up the whole lump. A little leaven. You don't need a lot. And so when we read this tonight, just keep that in mind. So now, are y'all in chapter 5, verse 1? He says, now look, this is what he says, because someone had carried the news back to him. He says, I can hardly believe the report. In other words, somebody that is an insider and got news of what's going on in the church has sent me a report, has gotten a report to me. Look, he says, about the sexual immorality going on among you. Now, man, when he say this next part here, 
that's, that's a serious indictment against the church. He says, now, something that even the pagans don't do. They don't even know God. But they got enough sense not to do what you guys are allowing to happen in your church. The pagans ain't even doing this. Now, I can see if we were the pagan church and we were still, you know, doing everything. We didn't know Jesus. Yeah. He said, man, even the pagans. And you know they got loose morals because the pagans had temple prostitutes. You know, so they could say, okay, you know, that was part of worship, sexual immorality, part of that worship. But he said, look, man, even them guys who do that wouldn't go and mess with his dad's wife. He said, even though they did that, that's kind of how y'all got to read this and get this so, so you can understand the magnitude of what he's saying. He says, he says, it, it done got back to me that the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even the pagans don't do. He says, now look, I am told that a man in your church, in your church, is living in sin with his stepmom. In your church. Pagans don't even do that. Sleeping with his daddy's wife. In your, and if I've been told this, that means other folk know it too. I ain't even there. But I've been told. And so if I've been told this and other folks know this, the question is, why aren't you doing something about it? Now, we didn't already establish last week, I think, uh, Major, that, you know, uh, when you build on the foundation, we all on the same foundation, but we saw that you can still have that foundation in place even though you're building bad works on it. So when Paul says some things here later on, it's going to kind of take us back to when he told them, hey, man, look, whether you build with hay stubble or gold or silver, of precious stones, at the end of the day, if you're still on the foundation, that's what's going to secure you, your foundation. But you're going to suffer some consequences based upon how you build on that foundation. And sometimes the things that we build on, Jesus, if they're not lining up with the word, it may put us in a position where we have to suffer consequences for how we build on the foundation. And so he's saying, now, this is what is going on. And, and, and so when I think about this, I want to ask you, he used to, because now today, what the Bible used to call sexually immoral, we live in a culture now where everybody don't see that, see stuff being sexual immoral. So now, as a believer, you got to establish in your mind what is sexual immorality to you? What does that mean to you today? Because back then, it was understood to a certain degree. It was understood. But today now, we've kind of, again, because that hyper-worldliness spirit that has kind of gotten the church, what people would normally say was wrong, they kind of like turn a blind eye to it. Well, you know, people just doing them. They ain't hurting nobody. If they ain't hurting nobody, just let them do what they want to do. So what we, we won't do now is we won't clearly say 
something is immoral or sinful because we don't want to be attacked to say we hate no people or therefore we judge people. But so in your mind, is that such a, you know, in, in 2023, do we even need to read the Bible and talk about sexual immorality living in America? We need to say, wait, just take, don't even read that no more because America ain't got no conscience when it comes to sexual immorality. That means there was sex is free game. We got shows on, on TV, Sex in the City. And everything you watch got sex tied to it for the most part on television. So if you see this before you all the time, then what happened is your moral standard will start to go, go down. And, 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 and sexual sins is addressed throughout the whole Bible. So this has been a problem for a long time. It ain't just become a problem now. It's been a problem for a long time. It's just now because of the airways that we have, how this stuff can be transmitted so quickly, you know, you can find out about it in the instant. People get so bold now, they'll put this stuff out on Instagram. Whereas it used to be a time you had to go find stuff that was sexually explicit materials. They had them in a back room somewhere. You had to be old enough to even go back there and get one. Now, you just go to the www and put in whatever you want. Bam! All the immorality you want is right there in front of you. So what I'm trying to say, if, if we don't see those things that are being sexually immoral, immoral, then now we end up doing them and say, hey, it's okay because the world, everybody is doing it. Everybody's talking about their sexuality and, their, and where they are and how they are in a certain area. Everybody's talking about that just common life. So, so what's the hang up with the church? Why are y'all behind the times? Y'all still trying to say that's sin and everybody doing it. Why are you going to call that sin? Ain't nobody waiting till they get married. Yeah, but I'm just, ain't nobody waiting. You don't hear nobody talking about around there. They talk about, man, I just can't wait to get married to a virgin. That, that ain't even conversation. Now, you know my church, folks. The, the expectation is so low now. I'm not saying that there's not some ones and twos that are getting through, but I can guarantee you they ain't, we ain't getting through at 50% or even 10%. So if that's the case, that means that people are coming into the body with sexual hang-ups. Y'all ain't got to say amen. Because they're coming out of the world, and so what happens is, if they come in with those hang-ups, and the church don't have a standard, then what we do, we just bring the hyper-worldliness right into the church. Go ahead, Major, get a mic now. Make sure you got a mic. Well, okay, that's... that's that's a fair assumption, but that's not necessarily the way. So when you know better, you do better. You might come in that way, but you should remain that way. Well, these people came in that way, and they knew better. But what Paul told them in chapter 2, chapter 3, y'all still babies. Some folk will come in, but they don't want to grow. And so therefore, when people refuse to grow into the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then what happened is, we still hold on to some things that God wants us to get rid of. 
And so when those things are not dealt with properly, then what happens is they kind of start festering in the church. And that's why he called it a little leaven. Once a little leaven get in, you know, I think everybody understands how yeast and bread work, you know. You know, when they, left, when they left Egypt, they couldn't put no leaven in the bread because it had to be flat because they were leaving in a hurry. But he was saying that you can take that same dough and drop a little bit of leaven in it and it'll rise up. You can take that same church and drop a little bit of leaven in it and it's going to start growing. And so what happens is because, you know, the church has kind of got laxed in their, in their moral morality, then now the church looks a lot like the world. I showed you, that was a video the guy did, the thing where, where he had the girls on the stage, you know, glorifying that they done had injections in their booties. And I guess that's a thing in the world now. I mean, I didn't even know that about that, man. I didn't know they were doing that, booty shots. But, but what has that got to do with Jesus? And how do you, I ain't got no problem if you're watching that on TV and whatever they do, but how did that end up in the church on the stage? Because somewhere along the line, people said, hey, that, that is no longer a line. And it looked like the pagans said, yes, it is. The pagans said, hey, we ain't going to even do that. So the pagans had a line somewhere. But Paul is saying, look here, that line that the pagans had, the church had already crossed it. Y'all following this? This making any sense. I know it's a tough one because it was tough for me trying to get through this one right here because I'm saying, man, okay, you know, Paul got a solution. So he says, now look. Sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmom. Now, that, it don't tell us whether his dad was still living or, or, or whether or not, you know, he knew that was the case. Don't say whether she made an advance at him or not. It just say that they knew it wasn't right for him to be messing with his dad's wife. Well, step, 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 don't make no difference. That's it. If she is stepmama, she is dad's wife. I mean, she, so how do you go and sleep with your daddies? Even if she make an advance at you. Joseph had enough sense not to sleep with, you know, with, with Potiphar's wife. When she made an advance to him, he made that wrong. Now, the Bible didn't tell her what she did, yeah? It, 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 it don't, it just, I got to go with what's written now. I, we, can, we can add to it and say, well, maybe she did like, you know, what's the name wife did Joseph, pinned him down, caught him by herself. But still, it looked like the brother should have got away from that. Joseph at least ran off and left his clothes. That's what Joseph did. But it looked like him, this brother was... Play along with it. I know somebody looking online and say, I don't believe they're talking like this in Bible study. Well, this is in the Bible. I mean, this would make a good, this would make a good soap opera. I mean, you wrote a movie about this right now, it'll probably be a bestseller. And connected to the church too. What goes on under the guise of the gospel. under the cloak of the gospel. 
the church. Okay, let me, I'm making fun of it, but, I, but this is serious. Now, again, I'm believing that most churches don't cut the food like this today, but I was seeing, that was gospel group, I think, somebody messed around out there and went and did some of Lil Nas. And I think Lil Nas is the one that put devils on his shoes. Yeah, yeah, when I then got hooked up with him. I mean, how do you get hooked up with a dude to walk around with devils on his shoes and ignite? And you sing I love Jesus on Sunday and you hooked up with the dude who got devils on his shoes. Now, now I, in, in fairness, they did sit him down for a little bit. Oh, he ain't even back up yet? So he must have he must have made a flavor file. Cause normally they'll be back up by now. But so so if he's still down. That's, so major, that's testimony right now that they do will sit you down for a little while. They probably didn't kick him out, but he just can't get up and represent with the whole group no more singing. So we said last week, don't look at the presenter. Don't judge. Oh boy, major contrista. <laughs> he said that last week. Don't look at the presenter. But 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 and, uh, you said last week. I did. Don't I did. look at the presenter. If he got a good word for you, when he come down, don't worry about the shoes. Don't worry about the shoes. But wait, man, don't worry you, about you, the you, shoes. You, you, feed, you feeding your own argument because you said that we shouldn't be up there with Snoop. But but later on in here, it's gonna say if you're professed Christian. Snoop Dogg didn't say he was. <clears throat> Snoop Dogg didn't say. It says that. If you profess to be a Christian, if you say you're a Christian, that's different. But he doesn't say he's a Christian, so we can't judge him. He's, that, he's doing right. what the world does. He, he does what the world does. And, and we're going to see that here later. You know? and, and, so, and you got a good point there. It's because at some point in time, the church has to be discerning enough to know. It's one thing you know, that when someone is doing something and you don't have knowledge of it. You, know, you don't have knowledge of it. But it's another thing when someone is doing something blatantly and you have knowledge of it. When people are making flagrant files and you have knowledge of it and don't do anything about it. So if, the, if it hadn't got out, I'm pretty sure the guy could have still been singing a powerful song. But now that he has been, the intent is to sit him down for a little bit and then restore him. I'm sure the end game is to bring him back. Because you, like you say, Paul going to say later, you don't want to leave him out there, but you do want to turn him over to Satan for a little while. Let's say beat him up a little bit. And then so he come back. Hopefully say to beat him enough, he'll come on back. Let me read on, let me read on, let me read on. He, say, he says, in verse 2 he says, he, we see that self-exaltation. He said, now, you are so proud of yourself. Again, because of their, their influence. They had money, they had the clout. They, I mean, they had a lot of things going in Corinth, man. And, and, and because they were so proud of what they had along with their intellect, Paul was saying, you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. So Paul said, now look, man, y'all walking around talking about how much y'all love the Lord and we praising God and all that, and you know this is going on. It's different if you don't know, but if you know this going on, you know something is happening that the heathens ain't even doing, and instead of you addressing that, you just getting caught up because, hey, we got the gifts. You know, out of all the other letters, Corinthians is the only, one of the few books where all the spirit, Romans talk about spiritual gifts, 
But Corinthians talk a whole lot about spiritual gifts. So it's believed this church was then endowed with spiritual gifts. They had various gifts in the church, but just because a gift is in the church don't mean the people going to rightly discern God's word and obey it. Some people, they will focus on so much that, hey, we got all these gifts, gifts, and gifts. Now, he hit them later on when he talked about you got all these gifts, but you don't know how to love. And so the gifts don't becomes nothing but noise if you don't know how to apply those gifts in love. So here they can have these spiritual gifts to try to tell them how to live right, but at the same time, if they knowingly allowing someone to do this, and this is someone who is doing it in a way that others must know about it, and they have not taken any action, then he's, he's kind of coming at him about that. He says, you should, should remove this man from your fellowship. That's probably where we get the term excommunication from. Someone commits some type of offense that they should be removed for a season, you know, and, and, and normally now churches try to punish. If they're going to punish people, they punish with, with, with restoration in mind. Okay, if you're going to sit down, you're going to sit down for a period of time. Uh, during this time, you've got to go through this, some type of training, some type of rehab, and then now at a certain point in time, you, you restore it back to service. So the intent is never for a person to be destroyed and never be allowed to, to serve God and to minister to God, uh, uh, minister before God again, but the intent is to help rehabilitate the person. You know, because it has to be addressed, because if it's not addressed, if it's something that has the potential to spread throughout the ministry, then it's going to affect a whole lot of other people. Amen. And so, so what he was saying, he said, now look, he says, he said, he recommended that you should remove this man from your fellowship. I mean, he, he just can't, you know, got to tell the usher at the door when he show up. He can't come in yet. He got to sit out there in the car. Let him sit out in the car for about a month, listen, tune in out the car, and then after we see his heart, yeah. or you got to go to fellowship hall somewhere, you know. I'm just saying, I don't know how, I don't know what this looked like. You know, but any of you that was brought up Catholic, I'm pretty sure the Catholic had a way of doing it. I mean, they still talk about excommunication more than anybody. Man, you can get excommunicated in the Catholic church when you get divorced. Yeah. You get divorced, you get excommunicated, and then especially you can get excommunicated, you get divorced, and then you go out and marry somebody who's not a Catholic. Angel will correct me if I'm wrong with that, but I think that's how they kind of do certain things. That's their, their tradition. And so, but, but get this, if you brought up in that tradition, you know that. You accept that this is a standard that we have put out there, this is what we live by. And so therefore, because we come into this faith, and, and again, the Catholic, almost like the Jews, believe you're not just born into the Catholic faith, you're born into the faith. Because when those babies are born, they are christened and dedicated right there. It's understood you're going to be a Catholic. Now, people break away just like they break away from any religion and, and go and find something that's more suitable to them. But, but that's kind of how it is in Judaism. If you were born into a Jewish family, it's understood you're going to be Jewish. You ain't going to get no choice. You're going to go through all the rituals that's going to declare that your Jewish faith. And so, so what we see here is that he said, this man should be removed from your fellowship. Okay? Now look what he says in verse 3. He says, now even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. Wow. 
Paul is letting us know what Jesus already knew, that you know the spirit has no limits. Man, I may be all the way over here in Rome, but in spirit, I'm right there with you. My spirit, I, I was there when the ministry got started there. So, so therefore, I, I, I taught you guys, he said. So therefore, there's something that you got from my spirit that's still there. Even though I am not there with you, my my spirit. I'm there with you in the spirit. And he says now, as though I were there. Even though I'm somewhere else. Man, I'm talking about you. I'm, I'm right there with you. Man. And then he says, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Now look at this. Pass judgment, don't look at that too bad because Paul is not passing judgment in the sense of condemnation, sending the man to hell. He's not saying that. He's saying based upon this case and based upon what he has done, I've already established that the foundation is Jesus Christ. I have nothing to say he done walked off that foundation. But I do, I do have enough information to see that he has violated and he built on with a lot of hay on that foundation, and because of what he's building with, is impacting the whole church. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that being the case, I done already passed judgment. For that particular thing, you gotta, you gotta go for a little while. That's kind of tough, don't it? Because that's tough. You know, when I was coming up, uh, in the Baptist church, I used to see punishment was not meted fairly or equally. Because say for instance, a, a young girl went out and got pregnant out of wedlock. She got brought up before the church in the old days. Almost like putting a scarlet X on your head. You know, got sit down, but they, we, I never saw the, the man come out of the boy, never. Nobody, never, never, you just, she got pregnant some kind of way. But it was like the punishment was not meted out the same. We didn't bring him up there, stand side by side. So, so what Paul said, hey, look, man, that certain things got to be dealt with. And, but it got to be dealt with, you know, in the spirit of the Lord. Because he says now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, he, he, he get real Baptist right here. In verse 4, he said, you must call a meeting of the church. You know, I was listening to a preacher the other day. He said something that was very true. When I was in the Baptist church, there was meetings, and then there was call meetings. And anytime you got a notification from the church that this is a call meeting, that's like saying, okay, we just had advisory board here driving. And that went out as an advisory board meeting. Anybody want to show up? Yeah, you're sure, but they don't show up. But if we had another meeting next week and say, hey, this is a call meeting. Somebody's going to say, hey, they just had an advisory board meeting. If they called us, something went down. Somebody go down. So he said, look, y'all need to have a call meeting so that 
Did he, did he say call? Y'all got real quiet right there. Did he say call a meeting? It, it, can I say, if I say amen? Well, at least you know what I'm talking about. Call a meeting. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to call a meeting of the church. He says, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit. And so will the power of the Lord Jesus. You ain't by yourself when you got to deal with tough things in the church. If you're trying to do what's right, the Lord going to be with you. So sometimes you just got to call a meeting. Now, we don't like to call a meeting, but sometimes you just got to call a meeting. And then trust that if what you're trying to do is going to benefit the body of Christ, then that spirit is going to show up and that what you do is going to glorify God and not destroy somebody. So he says, the power of the Lord be with you. Now look at this. Man, Paul just gives some directions here that, you know, he don't leave nothing to our imagination, Major. Then you must throw this man out. Throw him out. Just throw him out. Then look at throw him out. Give his picture to the, to the deputy sitting out there on Sunday. Say, if this dude show up, you keep him out. Throw him out. Now, somebody said, well, that's, that's, old, that's just old Bible there. They, that, that wouldn't happen today. Well, it's in the Bible, so there may be some offenses that people just need to get thrown out for a season. He said, now look, then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved. What? He done did all that? But if you throw him out and the devil deal with his sinful nature, he still got that foundation as a possibility major. He will be saved on the day the Lord returns. He done did something worth being thrown out, but at the same time, if he didn't denounce Jesus, he's just a carnal, worldly-minded Christian who still believe that Jesus is Lord. Still got the foundation. Even though you done kicked them out your building because you don't want to build it on your building with no hay and no stubble and straw. But he still got the foundation. He out there on his own now, and maybe, the, the, you know, going to, let the devil do what he do. He's going to buffet him around, beat him up a little bit. Then hopefully he's come back to his senses. Then he come back to the church and say, man, I'm sorry. I realize I, I made a mistake. You know, I think Paul wrote in, in, in one of the Timothy, first and second Timothy, uh, first Timothy 1, 19, 20, when he said that, you know, he was running with a couple guys called, you know, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he said, man, those guys started to saying some crazy stuff about the fellowship. And he said, man, I turned them over to Satan. Kicked them out of the fellowship, turned them over to Satan so that he could buffet them for a little bit and hopefully they'll come back to their senses. Now that seems tough today. I mean, I can't even, it, I can, I can, it, it would have to be a real flagrant foul here in Striving. Flagrant three, you know what I mean? <laughs> Probably, hey, look here. I got to, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to fix my mouth to turn somebody over to Satan. I guess I could if I had to, but right now, standing here now, I, I just, man, I just wouldn't want to have to fix my mouth to say, hypothetical, may jump in to turn you over to Satan. 
I don't want to see you at the meal program on Saturday happen no more. I don't see no more. I just got to turn you over to say, man, because you got to get together. I just, don't, I just don't see nobody being that say they love Jesus being this crazy in the church. You come to church every week. But I'm just, I'm just giving people the benefit of the doubt. But there are some things that can be so egregious, man, that the church got to deal with it. And, and when the church don't deal with it and the world get wind of it, then now the church being the tabloids just like the world being the tabloids. I mean, it hurt my heart when I hear the, some powerful ministers all over the world, the Hillsong, those groups that these people had, powerful ministers. But man, when they, when they worldliness got caught up in the news and it got out there, man, it had an impact on the ministers. And so we're not above making mistakes in the church, but what we got to understand, there's certain things we just can't practice and say we come to church and we love the Lord and we're growing and we're trying to be more like Jesus. You can't let things be practiced in church. Errors is one thing, but practice is something entirely different. Anybody got any comments? Any comments? Any comments? Any thoughts? Okay, look at this. He says now in, in verse 6, he says, your boasting about this is terrible. Instead of taking action, you're out there boasting about your gifts, what you got. He says, don't you realize that this sin is like a little leaven that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. He's trying to let them know, you don't really know how you were created in Christ. And when you became a new creation in Christ, there was no leaven involved in your creation. And so he's taking them back and using an Old Testament reference to leaven and sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jesus even used a couple of times talking about leaven of the Pharisees, but he also talked about it from the standpoint of sin. And even in the Old Testament, when, 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 when they left Egypt, the reason they didn't put no leaven in the dough, because one, it took time to rise up, but the blood of Jesus was supposed, the blood of the sacrifice, the lamb, was supposed to cover that sin. So he said, now look, if the blood is supposed to cover the sin, then we are not supposed to be living by the old nature. The leaven ain't supposed to be in there. The leaven got to go. Because if you don't get rid of the leaven, it's going to spread. And once it starts spreading throughout the whole loaf, you're you going to have to almost destroy the whole loaf. You know, I, I'm not a baker, but man, once a loaf of bread swell up, what do you start cutting? Well, you say, I believe the little leaven right over here, but the rest of it still swole too. So what you going to end up having to do? Probably get rid of the whole loaf. So he's saying, now look, there's some things that you got to understand. When it get inside the body of Christ, 
if you don't deal with it, it's going to spread. Now, he went to the flagrant foul, but we don't have to play this out to be the flagrant foul when somebody's going to get kicked out, but you can just use any little leaven. It's going to spread. So it may not be nobody sleeping around and doing all these crazy stuff, but just think of any little leaven that can get in the body. If it's not dealt with, it will it'll spread. And so as that happens, then now he's trying to let them know that, man, you can't walk around and, 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 and continue to celebrate the Lord when you know these things are going on. So he done made a decision for them, gave them the instruction of what they must do, and then now his expectation is that, hey, you're going to do what is required of you so that you can maintain the integrity of the church. Not to destroy the individual. Because this was not about a heaven and hell, a destruction type thing. This was just about, you know, getting someone to realize the error of their ways with the hope of restoration. So, so, so when we read this, don't look at it as Paul is saying, hey, we're kicking this guy and they sending him to hell, because later on in 2 Corinthians, we're going to see this same guy end up back in the, in the church. So obviously between the first letter and the second letter, he got restored. So restoration was always in the, in the plan, but here, if we stop reading right here, we would think, oh man, that was just so cruel of the church. Well, you got to read, that's why you got to read the whole Bible, because it will eventually answer itself when you're confused by certain things. So he said, now look, this is time for we celebrate, so let us celebrate the festival not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Before Jesus, old bread. All of us had some, was old bread. Amen. Everybody say amen, because the Bible says old bread. Made the old bread. It was just old bread. All of us had some old bread. So when we come to the Lord, we want to celebrate the new bread. Hence, you know, we come and we want to grow into the newness of life. So there's nothing wrong. It was the old bread that made us realize we needed a savior. When we come to understand the things that we was doing was not consistent with what God would have us to do. And our light came on and said, hey, man, I can't keep doing this. And once I accept him, the old bread got to start going away. But if the old bread is coming to try to grow right down with the new bread, then he gives the example, you know, old wine and new wine. You know, it's going to mess up the skin, man. You know, if you're going to put new wine in an old skin, when it starts to ferment, man, that old skin is going to burst. So, so there are certain things that when we become new in Christ, we have to intentionally try to get rid of some old stuff, old bread. And what happens is, is that as we grow and as we mature, and again, all of us are influenced by the world in some kind of way, good or bad. We, worldly influences around us every day in television commercials and billboard ads, newspaper. You look at the news, there's some influences out there. And what we have to do now that we're operating in the new bread, 
We can't look at something and say, man, that's some old bread. I remember that. I remember that old bread right there. That used to taste pretty good. Because the old nature is still in you. It'll be, man, God would have made us life, our life so much easier if after we got saved, he just said, I'm going to take the old nature right out of you. So that you ain't got nothing to work with but the new you. But the old you never go away. You have to deal with old nature, old bread every day. And if you don't crucify old you every day, old you'll show up. Old me'll show up. And so that's why Paul always talked about this battle, this war that's going on on the inside of us. That old bread and that new bread, man, try, trying to coexist in the same place. It just ain't, it ain't meant to be. And so what happens is we have to learn that in life, you may lose a battle every now and then, but man, you can't afford to lose the war. So God understands sometimes you may lose a battle, but man, we got to go in with the mindset, we ain't losing this war, man. I ain't going back to the total a loaf of whole bread. I'm going to be half and half for a while until I can get three-fourths and then try to get to be a whole loaf of, of good bread, you know what I mean? But I, but I can't go back to the old bread. And see, when we, when we, when we, when we don't understand that, then what happens is when the church starts dealing with old and new, then what would happen, we get criticized for trying to be too legalistic. When he's saying right here, man, you got to remove the wicked. That ain't legalistic. From among you. Then you will be like the fresh batch of dough, made without you. As long as he among you, he going to be yeast, man. which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So he's saying, now look, the solution to all of, all of this is that if we really embrace what Jesus did for us on the cross and the sacrifice he made for us, then therefore he is enough to help us deal with the old bread. He's enough to help us get rid of the old bread in our life. He's already paved the way. He's already made it possible for us to do what is required to get rid of the old bread. It's just up to us to embrace what he has done and then start living in what he has done. We don't need to be out there trying to figure it out. We just need to believe that he's already done it. We just need to now come in agreement with what he has done and start walking in the newness of life. But if we don't want to walk in the newness of life, then we're going to be held hostage to the old way of life. Everybody have to make that choice. Everybody have to decide what they're going to do after they accept Jesus Christ on the foundation. And that goes back so profoundly to what he said earlier. Once I get on the foundation, I got to make a choice of what I'm going to build with. Got to make a choice. And what I build with will determine how I'm rewarded later. And as long as I don't denounce Jesus, as long as I don't get crazy enough one day to say, hey, you know, I no longer believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I want to denounce him, I think, yeah, you're going to be all right. 
even though you still got a little old bread, just don't get so caught up in your old bread that you denounce Jesus. I can't, I can't, I can't find a scripture that will help you if you denounce Jesus. Because he said, you be ashamed of me <laughs> before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before the... Don't, don't denounce me. Don't, 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 don't taste how good I am and then all of a sudden now denounce me. Because it's going to be hard for you to come back again after you've tasted it. And so, so what he's saying here for us is that we have to understand now God wants us to operate in sincerity and truth. That's what the new bread wants us to do. That's what the new nature wants us to do. Operate in sincere, to be sincere about our relationship with him. And then operate in the truth of his word. We got to search and seek for truth because now everybody is saying truth is relative. I mean, that 10 years ago, I thought it was just a catchphrase. Now it is, it is front and center. It's hard for you to say something that's absolutely truth anymore because people say, no, that's only true because you say it's true. But I can say it's not true. And what, what make you right and me wrong? Where there used to be a time, the Bible carried weight in our culture, in our society, and, and a lot of our laws are based on biblical scriptures. Some of the things that we define as a crime, you can find in the Bible. But now, some of them have been expunged from the Bible and because culture says okay, so that's no longer a crime. And so, what we have to do as believers and children of God, we got to make sure that we understand and, and we're always looking for the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there is truth out there. The Bible is God's truth. Amen. We may not be able to understand it all and comprehend it all, but we still got to believe it. Man, if you ever start believing that this Bible is a lie, then we're wasting our time. Why even be here? Why even come to church? And, and that's why so many young people now, and even some older Christians, are walking away from the faith because they can no longer say that it is the truth. They don't believe that the word of God is truth. That everything in there can be looked at from the standpoint of truth. Because there may be other truths out there. And so therefore when, we, when that message get out there and then we who are in the church don't knock it down or don't stand up for Jesus, then that's why people say, well man, maybe a hyperworldly church is the way to go. Because they ain't fighting about truth. They just said, come and live. Let's just do what we do. We ain't got to say that's right or wrong. We determine what's right and wrong. I mean, if we all agree with it and say it's right, then it's right for us. Forget about what the Bible say. That was back then. That's old stuff. That ain't relevant. I'm just telling the arguments that I hear, Major. I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm just telling those are the arguments that's out there. When you talk to young people, those are the arguments out there, man. That, that, that is no longer applicable to today. That is not truth. And so what we see is that when there's certain things that's not true, then what happens is things start to be redefined. And when things are being redefined, then what used to be something that God say is wrong is now is not... The law may say it's not wrong anymore. So when the law changes and says it's not wrong, does then the Bible need to be changed to say 
It's okay? No. The Bible still got to be considered true. Got to be considered true. Even though sometimes the truth for us is hard to swallow, we got to believe that it's still God's word and it's the truth. Because if it's not the truth, then why waste all our time? Why devote yourself to something that you don't believe is true? So we got to operate in this new bread of sincerity and truth. Then he comes back in verse 9 and says, look, through 11, when I wrote you before, so it looked like there was another letter. Some believe that there may have been another letter to the Corinthians other than 1 and 2 Corinthians. Can't prove it, but when he said, I wrote you before, it may, may look like there was a letter before this one. He wrote them about something, whether or not it got published, got lost or whatever, or nobody, somebody destroyed it because they didn't like what he wrote, we don't know. But he say here, when I wrote you before, I done told you this was before, Major. I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. This is not a new truth. I told you this before. In the first time I wrote you. Again, in order to really appreciate this, you have to go back and look at the history of Corinth, the temples that was there, what the people did, and all the cultures that were there. You have to really just go back and, and, and get a good Bible or get a good a, a Bible a dictionary or, or, or encyclopedia and just look at up Corinth and see what was going on during that time in Corinth and with the Greek empire and the Greeks and some of the stuff they were doing. You can just look at the art and tell how they was kind of, you know, and how, and, and how many gods they worship and all that. They had temples, all kinds of temples. And, and, and again, you're going to find, I said this before, in that, in, in that time, Sexual sins was not necessarily, from that vantage point, was not considered bad. It was all under this concept of pleasure. So when considered evil or bad, it's something you do for pleasure. Like having a glass of wine for pleasure. And what they'll tell you that See, you Christians try to make us believe that the only reason God created sex for us to have babies, to recreate, procreate. What if I don't want to have no baby? What am I supposed to do? I'm just telling you, that's one of the arguments that's out there. Hey, sex is for marriage. The results of marriage in normal cases were supposed to be children. And so therefore, the argument is, hey, you wait till you get married to have sex. But somebody said, well, hey, that ain't what God really meant. What if you never get married? What you supposed to do? I don't want to be no nun. Don't want to be no monk sitting on the top of a hill. So what am I supposed to do when that desire come up? God put it in there. Go get married. Paul told him it's better to, it's better to marry than to burn. 
So, so the reason I, I kind of make like that, because when I talk to people, I hear that argument a lot. Today, when I'm talking to young people, I hear that argument a lot. Hey, man, I look at, I ain't ready to get tied down. I don't want to get married, but look here. I don't see nothing wrong with what I'm doing. It's for pleasure. God put all things out here for us to enjoy. It's for pleasure. God created a weed. It's a herb, it's a plant. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So why can't I have a little bit of this plant? It's the Lord's. I mean, you go to Jamaica, that's part of their religious belief. They believe you're supposed to do that because that's part of their religion. It's, 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 it's brought into the doctrine, Major. Major said, if, if, Major, get a mic. Major said, if your mind is blown, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't supposed to do it. But, but what I'm trying to say to someone who is hyper-worldly, and, and, and they're going to say, yeah, that makes sense. As long as I don't get too high, my pupils don't get too big, I'll be all right. God created it. Sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness. That truth didn't change. That truth didn't change, to be sober-minded. So I, Major, get a mic, get a mic, Major, get a mic. I'm just saying the truth doesn't change just because you want to be world. If you believe the truth at one point, that truth didn't change. You changed. Okay. And, and so, again, a good point. So if, if I embrace the Bible as being God's word and truth, then therefore when culture change and when things around us change, I got to still believe that's because it's still the truth. So, so when they change, you know, at one time alcohol was illegal in America. Probably because the Bible said a lot about getting drunk and all that, so it was illegal. But eventually someone came along and changed the laws. Okay? And they defined what drunkenness was. Okay? what your weight is, your body, alcohol content, you're legally drunk. So with that now, Christians say, hey, what used to be illegal is now legal. So me and Jesus can have a gin and tonic. But, but, the, but the, legal, the legalism of being drunk is when you get stopped. But you know when your mind is not sober. Now you can make all the laws you want to say, well, if you drink three drinks, you still can drive. You can say that all you want to, but you know when your mind is not sober. You know that. Amen. So I'll... if you want to latch on to the law just to drink more wine, then okay. But drunkenness is still a sin. That does not change. That don't change. Now you does not change. No argument there. So, but, but what now I got to say, now major preference is that, hey, Man, because I really believe this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I ain't putting nothing dead in it. No dead, no dead grapes. No, you know, no dead peaches that done fermented over there. I ain't putting none of that in there. And that's okay. But if somebody over here say, well, as long as I don't get drunk off the dead grapes, then I'm going to just have me a little sip of wine with my And that's with my fair. As long as you honest 
with yourself and Jesus about when you get drunk. That go back. That's sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. You gotta you gotta be sincere and honest with yourself. You you, you gotta know where that limit is and, and and know that hey, when you cross that line, because again, the Bible says Jesus turned water into wine. John the Baptist was a wild man out in the woods. He didn't even drink nothing, they said. And they said he was a madman. And then they called Jesus a wine biblical because he turned the water into wine at the wedding. Now, when I was very, very, very sanctified, I mean, sanctified in a church where we never thought we did anything wrong, we used to teach that like where Jesus didn't really turn into wine. It didn't have enough time to ferment. You know, it was just grape juice. And that's what, how we taught that. So that we wouldn't feel like Jesus. So we wouldn't feel like, you know, Jesus, Jesus turned the water into wine when the man of the house said, man, this is the best stuff we done had. And the Jews understood what wine was supposed to do. It was supposed to bring joy to a celebration. But when I grew, I understood that, hey, I should have been trying to defend whether or not Jesus turned it really into water or the, to, to real wine. I should have said, hey, the issue is drunkenness. Your prescribed drug can be a sin to you. When you misuse, Adrian, when you misuse it and take 12 in one hour instead of two. That's sin. Because you know that's going to change your body. Like, baby, your faculty is going to change. You know that something is going to happen when you take too many of them. And so now you're taking a legally prescribed drug, but you're taking too much of it, then to you that's sin. Major, did you have some wine for me? I had a lot, but Major was saying half of what I was. Major was saying. What I was thinking anyway. But I was, gonna, I was gonna. The example that you used was um, when you used wine. Wine was never illegal in the Bible. So when the laws changed, it was like, okay, you know what I mean. The le- what 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 uh, the knowledge was was what is considered drunkenness. That's right. I agree with Major. You know when. You ain't right, you know, right. you should know, but it might be too late then. <laughs> Amen. 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 So now look at it. He says now, so, so, you know, like I say, I'm not, you know, knocking anybody who have a glass of wine. You know, you got nice wine, a Chardonnay or whatever it is you want to drink with your dinner. Pastor, ain't got no problem. I add one more thing I was trying to shy away from. When you were talking about um, some religions believe that, or some people believe that, um, Sex was only to procreate, and it's supposed to be just for married people. But I, I think it is. I think part of it is supposed to be pleasurable. I don't think you're supposed to be miserable um, <laughs> doing that. So, Song of Solomon, like there's supposed to be some pleasure related to that. I hope you know. Amen. And and, and again, the hardcore will say that pleasure is reserved for marriage. You know, but the others say, well, hey, no, really, like you say, I ain't sure old Solomon, you know, he wrote that, man. I don't think he had really that I got to walk down the aisle. But I don't know, he may have, you know, the boy had about 300 wives, so, so he must feel like he had to walk down, I mean, he had to walk down the aisle a whole lot. But obviously it wasn't for marriage because he started having sex with folk that wasn't the wife. So, so obviously he, 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 he didn't see it always had to be for just 
who I'm married to, he started having with his, with his concubines. So the Bible put us in a predicament when family was like, yeah, look at Solomon. He's a good example. And I'm going to use him to justify my sin. I'm going to look at Solomon. Still sin. Even though Solomon did it. The wisest man in the world at that time. The wisest man. Chapter 3, he was just as wise as he could be. By chapter 10, he was crazy. <laughs> you just, just read his story. I'm just telling you, read his story. That night when the Lord met him, he said, man, you, man, you wise. You, you asked for wisdom. You asked for all this. You know how to divide the baby. You know they brought the, two, the baby to you. You could figure out which one was the mama and all that. Man, you wise, man. God. And you, you didn't even ask for riches. I'm going to give you that too. And by chapter 10, that same dude done lost his mind. Because he got caught up with all them different gods from all them different ladies that hung around him. And uh, he forgot about his sincerity and truth. What the real God says. And whenever we forget away from what God says, then we're going to start believing what the world says. And, and that's why I'm, I'm definitely on the lookout for when I see hyper-worldly activity taking place in church. Where you know when you look at it, man, it looks so much like the world that you can't even tell that you're interested. And I ain't talking about just with lights and stuff like that. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the other thing that you can see that goes on. There's no reference to Jesus just pushing him away from the front altogether. And that's what these Corinthians, that's why he told them, man, you guys are worldly. They were carnal-minded Christians. And there are Christians today who are still immature and very carnal-minded. So he saw, I wrote to this, this to you before. Now look what he says. But I wasn't when he said I, not to indulge in sexual sin, verse 9, he says, but I wasn't talking ab about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. I expect that from them. So when I wrote you that last letter, I didn't mean for you to go over there to, you know, the bell worshiper and say, look what, look what Paul wrote you. <laughs> no, I was writing that to the church. So I wasn't addressing that to unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin because that's what they're supposed to do. They're just doing what unbelievers do. He says now, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. He says, if I was talking about it from that standpoint, you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Man, they're everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I, God will take you out of here right now, Major, because they are, when you leave out of here, man, they're out there. There are people out there right now who's stealing from somebody, who's cheating on somebody, man, who worship. Man, I, I tell you, the other day I was doing something, and, and I seen the, the little symbol of Baphomet, you know, the little devil symbol, the, the upside-down pentagram and all that? And I've been seeing that a lot on these young people, man. I was at the bank the other day, transacting some business, and I look around this guy's neck, and I said, man, that's a symbol of the devil. This dude wearing it. And once I saw it on him, it just caught my eye. And I was in the mall walking. I said, man, that symbol is catching on, man. A lot of these young people walking around with that symbol on, man, saying, hey, look, they let me know we don't worship the same God that you worship. And the guy, look, Major, he was so nice to me. 
I just saw the symbol at the last minute. I mean, Mr. Bolden, can I help you? I want to do this. Oh, you ain't going to have to do that. I'm going to do it all for you. I was like, man, this is a nice little guy. And then I looked at his neck. I said, man, this dude works the devil. Nah, I was just trying to put my money in the bank, but he wasn't going to give me that. But, but what I'm trying to tell you is that this stuff is so out there now that if you don't know what to look for, you know, when you see these young people all walking around with all black on all the time, with chains and stuff, look at some of their tattoos. They're going to tell you what they represent. You ain't got to be judgmental, just look. And then now, that'll open your eyes up so when they show up at your house with your kids, you got to say, wait a minute, I got to ask some tough questions right now. Because what do you really believe? Who, where is that sincerity and truth that when it comes to what you do? Because if not, you may influence my child. And all of a sudden, now this child, I've been taking to Sunday school and, and the Bible study and taking to church all the year, all of a sudden now come to me and say, hey, I really don't feel Jesus like that. And I want to go get me a, this tattoo on. Man, that's going to be tough. If you don't have a solid foundation, man, that you don't build your house on and your child don't have a good foundation because those influences out, are out there. He says, I meant that, I, I meant that you, verse 11, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulge in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idol or is abusive or is a drunkard or a cheat or cheat people. Now he said, now look, that's who I was talking about folks in the church. I wasn't talking about the people in the world. God didn't send me here to try to do that with them. Now I'm talking to you, you the church. He said, now don't even eat with such people. That's fellowship right there. He said, look, you can't break bread with them guys, man. When you know somebody that's out there overindulging in sexual sin, greedy, worshiping idols, abusive, drunkards. I mean, those are flagrant fouls, man. He said, no flagrant. There ain't no ticky-tack jaywalking. That's felonies. So it looked like he could have, he lists some big ticket items here. He didn't go down to all the other little small things. He could have said that, that we could imply that they're there. But no, he said, look, when it comes to you getting ready to not deal with somebody, you can't just be petty, man, when it comes to little things that people may do wrong and error. But man, when these people, when you look up each one of these things right here, you'll find that when you do a deep research on when a person is caught up in sexual sin or being greedy, you'll find that all these things have habitual things that they are doing regularly, habitual. You, you don't just get off into sexual sins on a one-off and, and stop. You habitually doing it. Somebody who's greedy, they don't just, you know, get greed for money on one-off. They're always looking for money. Or greedy, can't stop eating. I mean, they ain't no one-off. They're always worshiping idols. You know, it, it's not a one-off. So he said, and people who are abusive, man, people who are abusive, I mean, guys and people who are out there abusing their wife and husband or whatever, they don't want off. These people are habitually doing that on a daily basis in some cases, or drunkards. 
of people or cheat people. He says, now look, when you get to that level of flagrant fouls, don't even eat with such people. They can't even come to the fellowship and have pizza with us. That's tough. That's tough. I know it's tough, man. <laughs> he said, now look. Then Paul come back and said, and I'm about to wrap this up. He said, look, it's not, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. I ain't got no business walking around talking about all the stuff that the world is doing if I ain't taking the inward look and don't find out that, you know, judgment started in the house of God. So the church has no grounds to go out there and call the world evil and evil and evil and this when they're allowing the same thing to go on in the church that's going on in the world. He says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly, it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning, practicing, ongoing. You have a responsibility to take some type of action to try to correct that behavior. And whatever that church body decides, you know, like I said, in the Catholic Church, they excommunicate people. Some ministry, they just set them down for periods of time. It just depends on what the church feels and the nature of the sin. But it has to be dealt with. Then he come back and close by saying, let God do what God's going to do outside. Because those people who are outside the church, they don't even know God yet. So he, he, he is the one that's going to deal with them. So let's just let him have them. She said, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. Wow. This chapter five was a tough one, man. But man, it was a tough one. I mean, this one was tough. And you know, this was tough. But the nature of what this guy was doing was tough. And so Paul was saying that, hey, sometimes the church got to be able to deal with tough situations and see some things as leaven. And if that leaven is left undone, left, left alone, it's going to mess up some stuff. Now granted, like I tell people, nobody in the church should wake up every morning trying to find folk doing wrong. I mean, that's just, no. The Bible, you're, you're seeing the fine y'all. Sooner or later, man, God ain't going to be mocked. He's going ha he to have some stuff exposed. It, 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 it'll show up somewhere. And so, what we have to do is make sure that we accept personal responsibility for our own lives and do our best to live like God wants us to live. And if we focus on ourselves long enough, it won't give us time to be looking at everybody else and look what they're doing. We ought to be trying to say, okay, let me be a good example before the people that I'm around and then believe that God is going to bless me for that versus me coming in just looking for what everybody else is doing wrong and not looking at my own self. And so we need to be more aware of ourselves so that we don't get caught up like these Corinthians and get caught up in pride. And then when we get caught up in pride, like I've said before, we will overlook our shortcomings comings, and see everything else everybody else is doing. And we so what somebody could be doing the same thing we're doing, but we'll minimize it when it comes to talking about us. But when we're talking about somebody else, we make it look like it's a grade five felony. You know, he, you, it's a felony in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth degree. But when you did it, you wanted God to look at it as a misdemeanor. No. We got to be conscious of how we look at people who are struggling as they grow in the Lord. And then always look at ourselves first, you know. 
And as we look at ourselves and try to be examples for others, then we got to believe that then some people's lives may be turned around just by watching our example. And then we won't have to get to this degree. But apparently, again, this church is unique. You got to, we'll finish it up. It's going to get even tougher, but for right now, this was a tough chapter right here. And Paul had to deal with a tough matter. Any comments, any questions? Any comments, any questions? Any comments, any questions? A lot of stuff went on in that, in that particular chapter. Amen. All right. Some announcement before we leave again.